Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we are in 1 Timothy. We're starting chapter 3, and we'll be uh, putting in at verse 1, going down to verse 8. Just eight little verses today is on our schedule. Paul now uh, writes to Timothy about qualifications for overseers. Another name for overseers are elders. And then he'll uh, all then he'll start talking about qualifications for deacons as well. And this is practical advice. We come to practical advice for Timothy as to how to take care of the church. It's not all on Timothy's shoulders. God wants uh, to set his church up to give many people different responsibilities to care for the church. And this is where we get examples of how our churches today should be set up. We have someone uh, put in charge. Timothy's in charge. He's, uh, Paul tells him that he was appointed by God um, to be um, in charge and uh, that he should feel that it's God's purpose and plan for him to be there and he's going to have to counter a bunch of false teachers and he's also going to have to set up um, people in the church to to help him look after the church. The word elder um, has been translated in in uh, from different words. Um, it's used interchangeably from with words like overseer, pastor. Shepherd, these type of uh, words. Um, so these are um, uh, basically men given the role to oversee the church congregation. So we'll start in in verse one. The saying is trustworthy. So this is a big truth. This is something that is going to stand the test of time. If anyone aspires, or McGee points out to seek, if anyone's seeking the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. So, McGee states that that when people um, are in the faith 
and they have a heart to try to help out in the church in this way, to oversee the congregation. He says this is a really noble task. This is something that um, one should, in their heart, aspire to. One should want to try to help the church, um, not just go and and um, and uh, sort of be fed, you know, once a week, go to uh, the Sunday service and just kind of treat it like you're going to a movie or something like that. It's a, it's something that you want to be involved with because this is God's, uh, this is the body of Christ. And so there should be for some um, a calling to do that, to minister to the body of Christ, to look over the body of Christ. And so... Um, this is a really uh, noble um, commitment. It's not something that's taken lightly. Verse 2, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. So you're going to be somebody that um, um, there's not going to be a, a lot of rumors or scandals or things like that. You've got to be somebody that people can look to um, and find uh, an example of how to live uh, a godly life. Remember that that um, Paul in this letter was talking about living a godly life. This is back in chapter 2. We want to be um, prayerful, and we want to lead a peaceful, a quiet life, a godly life, and a dignified in every way a life that is good and that is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So this person should try to walk that walk. And this person should, in view of other people, should be an example of walking that uh, walk of a godly life that Paul was talking about back in chapter 2. The husband of one wife. Now, uh, McGee says there's a lot of debate on this. Uh, for me, I just read it as, as what it is. I, it doesn't spark a lot of controversy in me. It, it, it just says you should have one wife. And um, then there's all a bunch of sub-questions, like if you get divorced, uh, does that mean you can't be a, an elder? It really doesn't say that. Um, There's a lot of, um, you know, sub-interpretations of this is that um, the church uh, members may have had more than one wife. Maybe uh, polygamy was going on or things like that. But but um, there are different cultural customs that were going on at the time, but... Um, this is saying that the husband should be uh, have just one wife. His heart should just be for one person. And again, uh, God was basing the relationship of the family, the home. Uh, we learned about uh, back in uh, Ephesians on that, about setting up rules for uh, the household. So the way I read it is just you should have one wife. And sober-minded, self-controlled, so sober-minded is sort of level-headed person, um, a person who 
when they call somebody sober-minded, it, it's it's uh, uh, obviously you're not a drunk-minded person. You're not. Uh, you don't appear like you're um, too silly or too. Um, uh, um, unserious, if you can think of it like that. But you you appear like you're more serious. You're more sober in your thought. You're more of a thoughtful person. Self-controlled. In other words, you're not an angry, you're not prompt, prompt to uh, outbursts of anger or um, fast thinking that's not, uh, you know, you're superficial in your thinking. Um then he says respectable. So again, these are the actions of godly living, the actions of dignified living make you respectable. Now that doesn't, you know, notice that we haven't said anything about uh, power or prestige or having a lot of money or um, being super successful in business or anything like that. It just says respectable. So anybody uh, in the church, no matter what their economic standing is, um, can be sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. So these are not um, your typical power positions, but these are really um, godly qualities. Um, then hospitable. Uh, hospitable, McGee points out that it's the kind of person that applies hospitality, um, not just a handshake kind of person, but a person who does more than that. A person who goes out and um, makes people comfortable in many ways. And a person who you know, obviously talks to people, obviously who people feel comfortable talking to, the kind of person who would invite you to his home or invite you to um, to lunch or to, you know, to dinner or to, to sit down and listen. That's, well, these are things that, that I relate to in a hospitable person. And I think that Paul's giving such practical advice. I think when we read these things, um, we all kind of understand what these characteristics mean, um, and he's saying in he's saying all these characteristics in plain language. Um, the next one is able to teach. So one of the um, interesting things is this: one of the characteristics of the elder being able to teach uh, the deacons that we'll get to in a second. Um, that's not one of the qualifications, but uh, apparently the elders um, could teach maybe Sunday school classes or the elders could teach in various capacities. But that shows um, another level of thoughtfulness, another level of study into the Word of God, another level of being able to communicate the Word of God to others. Um, it displays perhaps um, a skill or a gift that, that they might have been given by God to, to um, minister to someone else, to teach uh, in a formal capacity. Every person is able to share the gospel message. That's not uh, what this, uh, I think, applies to. God, you know, and Paul wants everyone to share the gospel to make known the gospel 
to all people as we live our lives, that all people can be saved to know the gospel and to come to knowledge of the truth. That's what he says back in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. But here is, I think, um, being able to teach in a formal setting. Verse 3, now then we come to things that the elders are not. Again, this is real plain advice here. The elders are not, this is verse 3, a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. So people who are um, succumbing to alcohol, you know, it's pretty obvious that um, the alcohol can control the person. And when we let alcohol control our behaviors, um, we show that um, we show in kind of a real tangible way that you can have something else controlling your heart so easily is alcohol. So many things you can be drunk, you know, actually on many things, you can be addicted to many things. You can be addicted to, you know, sexual sins, pornography sins. You can be addicted to, you know, like we're saying here, alcohol, to, you know, being controlled by that. You can be addicted to money. You can be addicted to um, prideful things, you know, the praise of others. You know, isn't it interesting how our eyes itch for what it wants to see, our ears itch for what they want to hear, our heart can sometimes itch for the acceptance that we really want, our minds are itching for the intellectual um, esteem that we want, you know, um, all of these things are we crave, all of these uh, things uh, our body wants, but those type of things uh, God warns us throughout the scripture can control us. And uh, so we have to be careful because God wants a pure heart. God wants a heart that is centered on him. And so uh, being a drunkard is just a, a physical example, a real easy, tangible example of somebody who's let some thing, whatever it may be, in this case, alcohol, control them. Um. That can change your behavior. That can change your actions. And um, Paul makes it real plain that that person is not capable of leadership. That person is not capable of displaying um, holy and godly living. Not violent, but gentle. And um, this is uh, something that... Um, I think he, he probably mentions it a little bit in chapter 2, verse 8, that men particularly should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. You know, that was a, a trait when he was talking about having holy humility, like, like what men and women are to do. One of the things that he kind of points out with men is not a quarrelsome person, not uh, an anger-prone person, um, but a gentle person, because he mentions quarrelsome twice. He mentions the quarreling back in chapter 2, verse 8, and now he says not quarrelsome here in chapter 3, verse uh, 3. So if you feel like, and this is something that, uh, you know, 
I think that it's just something that I think I've impre- I'm appreciating more and more is that all aspects of our lives, it's so easy to get in a quarrel. It's so easy to get in an argument. It's so easy at work to get in an argument with uh, people you're working with. Maybe you see things differently. You have differences of opinion. Some people are supposed to lead and other people are supposed to follow. And it's different people have different leadership styles. Some leaders, their personalities direct them to lead by putting people down. And if you're in some situation where people put you down, you want to argue back sometimes or you want to give a difference of opinion and they don't listen to you. Well, maybe that's what sparks arguments. Or maybe your husband or your wife or your mother or your father, maybe you have differences of opinion. And that sparks off you know, a big debate about something. And at some point, you'll either come to some conclusion, you'll either get mad, some people get mad after that, um, or people stop talking, or they just have to agree to disagree and move on, but then sometimes people hold grudges, or they'll be the first ones to bring that argument back up in the future about something else. So the more I think about what quarrelsome is, it's such a powerful advice. And I think maybe that's why Paul mentions it um, several times. And I think when Paul's giving the general advice for everybody, you know, the men and the women of the church back in chapter 2, this is advice to the regular folks, not the deacons, not the elders. But he talks about quarrelsome, not being quarrelsome, not being, you know, getting angry, you know, being humble. And so he mentions it for the regular folks, and now he's mentioning it for the, the deacons. So quarrelsome nature, I think, the more I think about that, is such a big part of godly living that you just need to run away from a quarrel. Now, yeah, then there's always like, well, should I should I be a passive person, like a wet rag, whatever somebody says, I never give an opinion. I don't think that's what that means either. But I think that you can, in a gentle nature, in a gentle way, state your opinions, state your mind, but not in a violent way, and certainly not in a quarrelsome way. But he says in a gentle way. And I think that gentleness that he mentions um, there is important. And then I think when he's talking about everybody back in chapter 2, he's saying in every place men should pray. And I think everybody needs to be prayerful, lifting holy hands, lifting humble hands. And I think as I remember... And I, maybe I'm just remembering it, and I didn't say it before, but the lifting up of your hands, uh, you know, up there, I think that was an early sign of uh, humility, lifting up your hands like that.
I think lifting up hands was a sign of uh, being submissive. And I think we even do that today, you know, when we say, you know, hey, you're under arrest, hold up your hands. And that that act of holding up your hands shows that you have no weapons, show that you are, you know, you're totally exposed, totally humble, and you, you know, um, so I think maybe that's where that comes from. Even today, I was just thinking about that. But this humility, uh, this gentle nature certainly means not quarrelsome. So I think that's such a, I just, that, I think that really speaks to me because I see so many people uh, in argumentative things. And whenever I find myself, too, in arguments, I just feel so bad, and I feel like I never, the, the original point always, at least with me, gets lost because that feeling of a quarrel, when I feel that, I just feel like I never, I, it takes me days to recover because I just, it, it robs me of, 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 a, of an inner peace. So I think what Paul's saying, how important the quarrel is, that we need to really, um, I think the deacons uh, and the elders need to have that nature, but really it's, it's advice for everyone too. But, uh, but apparently, that, at least here, the elder needs to have that really mastered. Not a lover of money. Well, of course, God says money is the root of all evil. That love of money, that love of of money makes us do a lot of things. Well, when you think about it, just a couple of things. The love of money, you'll make decisions about the money. You you may avoid your your wife or your children because you're stuck on money. It, the love of money, you may make terrible decisions, and you people have lost their uh, homes or they've lost their they've gone into great debt because of the love of money. They may uh, uh, make things and purchases that are unwise. They don't save things because they maybe love to spend money. Um, so many different things that can cause quarrels with husbands of wife, maybe uh, talking about money. Uh, when money is lent to another person and the other person doesn't, that person doesn't pay back the debt, that creates all kind of problems. So money just um, creates all kind of difficulties with with uh, human beings because it is something of value, and um, to be a, a steward of or something of value is very difficult because everything we have belongs to the Lord. Everything we have, every blessing we have is a blessing from God. And so God wants us to understand that. And that's why I believe he asks, uh, or there's examples through the scriptures to tithe, to give a portion of the blessing that God gives us back to God. And it is because that is, it trains us to understand that God's not doing that to, uh, like he's a tax collector kind of person, and and we're his his servants who just 
you know, work for him. That's not, he doesn't need the money. God doesn't need the cash. But God does that to help us know that the hearts that we have shouldn't be attached to every blessing that we get. We shouldn't be stingy. We should be willing to share and we should be willing to understand that everything we have comes from God. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So again, one of the first things that our pastor in our church does when he interviews someone is he brings them in and he usually starts the interview by asking questions to the children of the candidate because it's it's interesting that the children give a perspective on the father or the mother and from a perspective of how much God is preached in your house my house the children usually tell a good story and so a quick measure of how effective one is as a minister is to look in the person's own household. What a humbling statement that is. And it should cause, I think, everyone who reads this passage to slow down and with a sober heart look and say, Can I do a better job with my children? Can I do a better job with my wife? Can I do a better job as, you know, if I'm the the wife? Can I do a better job to support my husband? Can I do a better job to support my children? In this sense, everyone can be a minister to their own children or in their own household. The minister's role is that of a servant. And so, in that sense, we all are servants of the gospel. Verse 6, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So, in other words, McGee says that the something you shouldn't do is, you know, have some person recently convert to Christianity and then put them on staff or put them on the elder board or put them on as a deacon because sometimes people do that just because they're a popular person or just because, you know, they need, you know, somebody else to serve or something like that. But you've got to make sure you take care of that person because the person may be puffed up with pride. Sometimes when these positions get filled, the person likes to walk around that they're more important than somebody else. Pride is such a powerful um, sin. And the, um, the pride of man is one of the things that God hates the most. Pride is something uh, that it's one of the sins that God hates the most. The devil himself starts off with pride. He thinks he's more than he should be. And that's one of the things that causes 
this the, the sin in the world and um that that pride of thinking of yourself more than god is one of the things that turns our heart from being Christ-centered, God-centered hearts to being self-centered really quick. We've seen that example over and over. Verse 7, Moreover, he must dwell, excuse me, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Being falling into disgrace, you know there's an old saying that says pride comes before a fall. And so, I think that probably comes from these verses here. Pride comes before falling into disgrace. Sometimes we think about ourselves and we do things more and more, not so much to because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the prideful thing to do. You know, we need to know the difference between right and wrong, but we also need to know the difference between pride and wrong. Because pride makes people do things, maybe for one level, but on, a, and on another level, they do it for prideful reasons because they know people are going to be seeing them or they know that people are going to be thinking more of them. I think that comes to my mind like when I see people like singing in the choir in the church or performing in the church in musical capacities. You think that is such, such a wonderful uh, you know, privilege to do that. But on the other hand, you've got to keep your heart in check because you're in front of everybody and everybody looks to you. But oh, how that that could affect your heart if you're doing those things just so people would see you do those things. And so again, I think Paul really strongly um, has laid out some things that, some big potholes that, that we all can fall into, into prideful things uh, and certainly um, disgracing oneself for whatever reason, and Paul doesn't get too general here, but he says into any type of disgraceful uh, behavior that would possibly stem from pride. So now we come to verse 8. Um, our last verse, we're starting advice for the deacons. And the deacons in the church um, comes from the word, let's see if I can pronounce it. This is the Greek word diakonos. Dekonos, that's where we get the word deacon from, and that means servant. And so these servants of the church um, are people who help the deacons. The deacons are kind of, their job is to oversee the whole congregation, and the deacons do some of just the the regular mundane work. They open the doors. They clean up the pews. They, they uh, manage perhaps some of the money. They pray for the people. They, uh, they, they can go and visit people in the hospitals or in the homes, or they, they do different things of the church. They carry out the business of the church. So um, they're more... Uh, 
in the trenches, one might say. So let's read uh, the first characteristic. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. And interesting that that's the first thing, dignified. Now, that goes back to our earlier uh, chapter 2, that everyone needs to be prayerful, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly life, dignified in every way. So that dignified life, again, is walking the walk of a peaceful, quiet, godly life. And when we do that, we're, we have that characteristic of being dignified. Okay? So that's someone who's leading this peaceful, quiet, godly life a dignified life, how important that is for the the ability to, to serve in the church. And I think everyone, this was a charge that Paul gave to Timothy for everyone, that Timothy would live this way, but he would, he would serve to help other people see his example to do that as well. And deacons are also to do that, to be... Uh, living a dignified life, a godly life, a peaceful, quiet life, dignified in every way. Then he says, not double-tongued. In other words, you don't say one thing to somebody and then say another thing to somebody else. You try to, you try to again, the tongue can cause so much trouble. And since deacons are probably out there, he probably talked double-tongued. You know, he, he probably said that perhaps um, maybe because deacons are just, there's probably going to be more deacons than elders anyway, but, but um, dignified, not double-tongued. It's probably being the opposite of a dignified person a double-tongued person. And notice how the tongue can get us into trouble. You know, being double-tongued, in other words, not being able to um, um, speak in ways that that um, cater to what, who, whatever person you're around. You know, you don't, you don't want to do that. You just want to State what you, you, you feel, perhaps in a gentle way. But you notice how he talked about elders not being quarrelsome and the deacons not double-tongued. It's, but both of them have references to our speech and our nature. And how important, I think, not being quarrelsome is and also not being double-tongued is. How important it is that our speech be of gentle nature. Then it says, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So, obviously, not addicted to much wine, that goes right back to being the drunkard for the elder. So, um, the elders not being a drunkard and not quarrelsome, he really, that's strong. And then the deacons, double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. Again, he says the same reference. 
He says the same reference. I think he says it maybe just in a slightly different way. But um, certainly the, 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 the description of the elders is a, that of a loftier standard, but I think, they, I think all this still applies to the deacon as well. Not double-tongued and you know, being careful of how you speak and being careful of what you let in your body that might control it. How important it is to keep your heart centered for Christ and not greedy for dishonest gain. In other words, that's another reference to not a lover of money that he says about the elders. So again, all of these negative uh, things that the deacons should not be are mirroring the same characteristics of the elders just said in a slightly different way. But, of course, I think the elder position is supposed to be a, a higher position, so he probably says it in a stronger, little bit stronger capacity for the elder position. So I hope this is insightful for you. It, it certainly gives a lot of insight into how the church was set up in, the, in these days, but also how our churches are set up today and the basis for that. But also, it gives us insight into the nature of Christ. It gives us a nature into the insight uh, of godly living. And this is what I think one of the big themes that permeates this letter to Timothy is Christian living is godly living. And uh, certainly, um, a message here is that as a Christian, you know, it's the gospel message changes our life. It changes the way we live our life. And so it calls us to live changed lives. It calls us to change our human nature to be a nature more like God, more like Christ. We can't really receive the gospel and not be changed. The gospel message changes us. Why? Because to accept the gospel message, we have to accept that we're sinners. We have to accept that we're not worthy of a relationship with God without the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. It's faith in Christ and nothing else. Christ has already done the work for us to mediate our sin with God's holiness. Christ wants and calls us to holy living, to godly living. So, we are called for changed lives. And it's insightful, at least for me, to see the descriptions of how that looks like in our life. So, for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time. I'll turn the podcast over to Matali. And um, so as we go into the weekend, we can reflect on this, and then we will take up next week um, as we continue our study through First Timothy. So from me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time. And now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Take it away. Hello, so today's teaching is coming from 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 all the way to verse 8. 
So in this particular chapter, we look at officers in the church and their, how they are supposed to behave, their character. And, you know, these are, are from our pastors, bishops, um, whatever their title, they are called in our churches. <coughs> so here at verse 1 of chapter 3, it reads, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So here, a bishop, who is a bishop? A bishop is an overseer, a superintendent. So a bishop in the early churches didn't have all their authority over other bishops or elders or other churches. So, um, but the person was still called a bishop and um, or a minister, <coughs> but... The term minister refers to all of us under the body of believers because we are all ministers of the church and we all serve the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God should lead the man who seeks to be a bishop in church. You know, someone can just wake up and, you know, because they've had a few lessons um, in theology and they've attended uh, a few classes, Bible classes and courses here and there, and they're just not led by the Spirit because they're charismatic and they're not led by the Spirit and they feel they can lead the church and, um, and they feel they can, they can actually uh, lead and preach when that's not supposed to be the case. You know, um, a bishop is supposed to be, you know, somebody who has that authority and who is led by the Spirit to actually lead the church. So, here we move on to verse 2 of chapter 3, which reads, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, uh, temperament, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. So here, these are the characters, the characteristics, the desired characteristics of, um, of a bishop. Um, this is like um, the positive qualifications that are required of a bishop. So the bishop must be blameless. So um, not saying that, you know, someone is going to be totally like blameless and, you know, people won't accuse this particular person, this particular bishop or elder of um, things. Obviously, with responsibility comes a lot of accusations and all. So obviously, when this particular person is accused... Um, you know, obviously the accusations have to be um, false. So, you know, when accusations is made, um, they will, these accusations will not hold true. That's what this uh, must be blameless means. So he ought to be married. So um, technically here it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the bishop has to be married, married. Um, but if the bishop is married, they have to be married to one wife. They shouldn't have more than one wife. And here temperament, temperament... Um, um, was explained by Dr. J.V. McGee as vigilant, so a man who knows how to um, keep his cool. So, yeah, this is somebody who's, like, calm, cool, and just, um, you know, who's, who's, who's calm and, and cool in, 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 in every situation. And um, sober-minded here, uh, you know, this is a person who has to be serious about um, the office that he actually holds. It's not, you know jokes and fun all the time so this person has to be sober-minded and you know not saying they have to be serious and they can't you know joke around and all but you know sometimes some of these jokes are taken too far um how 
people get careless and, and with how they joke and all. And, um, you know, the other characteristic is good behavior. So here good behavior simply means orderly in his conduct and doesn't do um, questionable things. You know, doesn't engage in questionable things, questionable activities, and um, just basically has to be um, orderly and um, well-respected. So, um, and the other thing is, this particular person, uh, one of the characters is they have to be hospitable. I mean, they can't be just like a Grinch who does not want to um, host anybody and all. They have to be welcoming and approachable and, you know, easy to talk to. And um, they have to be able to teach. You know, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, just because um, somebody has attended, you know, a few Bible courses here and there and, you know, uh, a quickie theology class, um, they feel, you know, they have, um, and they can quote scripture here and there, they feel they have, you know, that knowledge of actually teaching. So this is somebody who has to be able to actually teach who knows scripture. So verse 3 now looks at the negative qualifications of what a bishop is not supposed to have. So, um, and it reads, not given to wine. So here, uh, not given to wine. So don't be a drunkard. So the bishop is not just supposed to be a drunkard. And um, it goes on to read, not violent. So um, they're not supposed to be violent, you know, have a hot temper. Not greedy for money. So here, not greedy for money. They shouldn't, ha you know, have a love of money. Because the love of money is, um, you know, the beginning of um, a lot of problems. And, um, and, uh... Going on, it reads, must be gentle. So they must be, um, you know, patient and reasonable. They must not be quarrelsome and contentious. Um, so they mustn't be, you know, these must be a unifying factor in the church and, um, and not, um, you know, people who actually just bring up division and all. And not uh, covetous. So here... Not covetous. So this is a form of idolatry, you know, the love and worship of money. So this is putting money ahead of, um, you know, God and ahead of everything else in life. So they mustn't be covetous. So um, verse 4 goes on to read, one who rules his own house well. So this, um, he should be able to rule his own house. I mean, if he is married and he can't control his own house, how is he going to control the church? You know, um, he has to be able to um, actually control and um, his own house. And it says, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And this holds true, actually. So, um, and verse 6 goes on to read, you know, um, not a novice. So here, this person mustn't be a recent convert. You know, this is somebody who has to have experience, you know, experience in, um, you know, the different aspects of, um, of um, you know, religion. And, um, you know, they, they, they have to have gone through the different weathers. They have to have gone through summer, winter, autumn, spring. They must go, have gone through it all. Um, and not just a recent convert where they lack experience. So, um, you know, for them to actually lead the church. So, um and then it goes on to read, least being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So here, you know, they mustn't be prideful. You know, pride um, 
is the great sin that the devil had. And this is a great sin of officers in churches today. You know, you have a lot of people with a puffed up ch a chest and walking around, you know, with uh, a know-it-all attitude. And, you know, they're just very prideful. And, you know, the devil's great sin was pride. And this is also um, a great sin that you find a couple of officers in the church actually <coughs> actually have. Verse 7 goes on to read, Moreover, he must be a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So here, if a man has a bad reputation outside, you know, say for example, you know, he doesn't pay his bills, he's quarrelsome and all, that man is not a candidate for, you know, an officer in the church, but is a candidate for the devil. So, you know, they have to have a good reputation, um, you know, character-wise, um, outside the church, you know, not... You, you know, you don't want a situation where you have people actually saying, oh, you know, that man, um, actually, he cheats, uh, he, his business is not ethical. He's cheating um, so-and-so out of, um, you know, um, this particular deal or this particular um, amount of money. So this person has to have, um, you know, a good reputation. And then... Um, in verse 8, we have the requirements of a deacon, and it reads, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, uh, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. So here, they mustn't be two-faced. You know, the man that, um, you know, that tries to please all and doesn't have the courage to actually stand on his own. So you want a man who can actually stand on his own and just not try to please the whole congregation and just, um, you know, um, in the end, you know, end up uh, watering down the message that they're actually supposed to give to the people so that people can actually, um, you know, hear that particular message and, you know, follow that message. Because this man, if uh, he's a people pleaser, you know, he ends up teaching people the wrong doctrine, the wrong message, and in the end, you know, misleading these poor people. And once the, he misleads these poor people, you know, um, the the blood the blood of these innocent people are on his hands so and then he shouldn't she shouldn't be a drunk and he shouldn't be greedy for money so this is something that we've already explained in the previous verses uh, the characteristics of a bishop so these are the characteristics um you know the positive characteristics that are required of a deacon and bishops and elders and whoever is in the church and the characteristics that are not um, desirable for these um, position holders in the church, so for these officers of the church. So some of the, these are the guidelines that Paul actually was giving to young Timothy <coughs> about, you know, what a man um, who is leading, um, you know, the house of God, who is leading Christians, what characteristics they should possess. And this also applies to our local situation today, you know, we want to see men of God who have integrity, who are not greedy, who are not covetous, who have one wife, who have a good reputation both outside and inside the church, who are blameless, even if blame is thrown upon them, that will not hold true. So um, these are great characteristics of people who um, hold um, positions in churches. So yeah, this is today's teaching. Um, thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant Friday. Bye-bye.